When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. HeyYA is sponsored by You'd Be Home By Now by Kathleen Glasgow from Underlined. From the New York Times bestselling author of Girl in Pieces comes a breathtaking story about a town, its tragedies, and the quiet beauty of everyday life. Emery's junior year is starting, and Millhaven is reeling from the accident that killed Candy Montclair, the same accident that revealed just how bad her brother's drug habit was. Everyone's telling Emmy who she is, but so much has changed. How can she be the same person? Millhaven wants Emmy, Joey, and everyone else to live one story, but Emmy's beginning to see that people are more than they appear. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, and Erica Ezefetti. We are recording on Monday, October 11th, 2021. Hello. Hey, 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 how are you? I am doing all right. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Upset that it's October 11th. I feel Uh, like someone needs to give me a refund or something. (laughs) Feel cheated, but you know. Other than that, I'm chilling. You know, how are you? Like I said, hanging in there. I've been reading <laughs> like way more than usual lately, which is which mm. is a really good thing. I've mm-hmm. gotten through a lot of stuff. I've been reading a lot of horror, mm. both because it's the season and also because I'm still on the summer scares committee with the Horror Writers Association and oh nice uh, book list and so i'm trying to catch up on some horror stuff that i've missed from the backlist and it's been a lot of fun to read stuff that's not necessarily mm-hmm. like super new right yeah that's true i think that sometimes well maybe i should just speak for myself we get caught up in like the new stuff mm-hmm. and like it looks shiny and the covers are nice and you haven't seen it before but um there are a lot of great backlist things to get into as well yeah and there's a lot of stuff too that just didn't get much press or publicity or like was a very Mm -hmm. small release or I'm reading a book right now that is in translation and YA in translation doesn't get a whole lot of discussion or marketing behind it. So picking up some of these titles and being like, I either never heard of it or be put it off for a long time coming to them with no expectations has been really refreshing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's like you kind of discover something new in a way, mm-hmm. even though it's technically older. You mentioning YA in translation makes me wonder about like the YA scene in other countries, mm-hmm. which I've never really thought about. You definitely don't see enough. Maybe we should do a YA in translation episode, actually. Maybe that would be interesting. So it is interesting because there are some countries that buy so much US YA and translate mm-hmm. it, but it's like we certainly do not see the same number of titles from other languages coming to English and coming to the US. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the general idea is that 3% of the books published in English are in translation, and that's like overall. So if you think of 
a percentage of a percentage. Um, why yeah. being that percentage of a percentage? It's like you can name all the titles on one hand, sometimes one and a half hands um, right. per year, and it's such a disservice to how much is out there. And mm-hmm. you know, we we talk so much about the importance of reading diversely, while books and translation are equally part of what it means to read widely and diversely. And mm-hmm. so missing out on that kind of stuff is really a huge loss for readers. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's like we are kind of just repeatedly being fed our own, like, pers- or not our own perspective, but a perspective that is at least somewhat familiar to us. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, definitely cuts us off from this whole world that's out there. So hopefully that gets remedied in the near future. For sure. Have you been, um, before we like dive into our topics, have you mm-hmm. been reading anything interesting lately? I feel like it's been forever since we talked and I was thinking about it and it, it's probably been a month. So yeah, yeah, I think it has been a month. I've been getting into, you know, the usual fare for this time, witchy stuff mm-hmm. and spooky things, which I always like anyway, but I guess now is like a time to super duper get into it. Our topic today made me read more YA graphic novels. Oh, awesome. Which, yeah, so, which was really cute. When I, I mean, usually when I would read graphic novels, I don't read too many graphic novels just because, you know, TBR, Mm -hmm. whatever I get to is what I get to. But it was usually when I do read them, they're uh, like for adults or whatever, or like manga. And I don't really know what some of the manga classify as age-wise. But yeah, I read, um, what is it called? How You Lose the Time War or something like that, which is not YA, but... It was a cute little novella that started My Heart is a Chainsaw, mm. which is also not way, mm-hmm. but, but definitely of the time. And yeah, some of the the, the graphic novels and stuff that we are going to talk about a little later. So I've just basically been seasonal reading, I guess. Yeah. And I was going to say, I think the titles you mentioned have really good crossover appeal. You know, like mm-hmm. they're, they're great adult reads that YA readers would also super appreciate. Yes, and vice versa. Yes, exactly. Or yes, what you said. (laughs) We're just going to stick with with what you said. Let's hit our first sponsor and then dive into our first topic. So we tried to balance it out a little bit with heavy and a little bit of a lighter topic today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Our first sponsor is Rebecca Rhodes' Tides of Mutiny. Lane Garrow has a secret one that can get her killed. A life at sea hiding as a captain's boy is all she knows, but things start to fall apart when an old pirate enemy comes after her father. And there are rumors that her father was once a pirate as well. Enter a mysterious prince. Can Lane protect herself and find a way to live her dream? Or will she risk everything for a world where her very existence is a death sentence? Maybe there's a third option. After all, she's never played by the rules before, so why start now? If you love enemies to lovers romances, especially one about a girl pretending to be a boy and a stowaway prince, this one's for you. Rebecca Rhodes is a best-selling YA fantasy and sci-fi author of page-turning, read-in-one-sitting novels. Thank you to Rebecca Rhodes, Tides of Mutiny. And that sounds like a book that so many readers who ask for pirate books would so be into. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Love a good pirate little swashbuckling story. (laughs) You know, get your swashbuckling in for the day. Yes. So do you want to introduce our first topic? Yeah. So the first topic is mental health in YA novels. And uh, I'll go ahead and get started, I guess. Go for it. So first one I have is Black Girl Unlimited by Echo Brown. So Echo Brown is a wizard from the east side. Her world involves a lot of the trappings 
um, that come with a disadvantaged urban, urban life. Um, there are people, including her mother, who are addicted to drugs. There's violence, there's depression, there's racism. And this is all that she's, she's dealing with all of this while she's, you know, at a young age, starting at a young age and continuing on into her teenage years. Um, but despite all of this, there is still magic in Echo herself is actually a wizard. So while attending school on the privileged West Side, Echo learns to basically work with what she's got in terms of the, the magical world she visits, the human world, her experiencing. So it's kind of like dualities, I guess. There's the magic world, the human world, her um, home town, which is like, you know, this urban, like rough urban setting, as well as the privileged school she goes to. She has a lot of lessons that she learned, again, traveling between the human world and the magical world. And she gets help from other wizards who just so happen to be women as well. And she learns from them to kind of take from the darkness what she can, the darkness in her life, the drug addiction, the violence, their mental health issues. And she learns how to kind of hold on to hope inside of all of that. So um, obviously this book goes into some very heavy topics, including, as I just mentioned, drug abuse, sexual violence, depression, there's poverty, intergenerational trauma, and also touches on basically like the emotional and therapeutic work that is required to reverse these things. When I say these things, I'm, I mean specifically like intergenerational trauma, which sometimes can be so ingrained within, you know, your psyche, within a family that it is hard to disentangle that and start to like heal and stuff. So through Echo's lessons, we kind of learn alongside her how to begin to cope with feelings of hopelessness in a world where there's a lot of things to be hopeless about, but she, you know, start, she learns how to cope with it. So it's a good, I mean, sometimes with magical realism and fantasy, even you could argue that it's just kind of like a metaphor for different things going on in your life. In this case, obviously mental illness, um, but you could still keep the magical realism as part of the of a fact of the world, I guess, in this book, because she still talks about mental illness outside of the magical realism elements, if that makes sense. It, it's just, I think it's a, a good exploration of what it's like to be a Black girl or marginalized, a girl from a marginalized group growing up with, um, especially in an urban setting, and what it takes to survive when you have all these things going against you. So again, that is Black Girl Unlimited by Echo Brown. My first pick is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And this is Jackson's first true horror book just came out. And it does a lot of really good things in it. But what stood out to me is how she managed to work mental illness into the story really smartly without turning it into a boogeyman or sort of the gotcha in the story, which can happen too often. So the book the book follows Mary Gold and her blended family who move from California to a new town, which is obviously modeled after Detroit. And her mom has just taken this opportunity to go back to school. And the school is part of a program that rehabilitates blighted communities. So they get their housing taken care of. But uh, the house is creepy. It's sort of falling down and they seem to be the only people on the block. There are a few folks who live near by, but they're weird and super unfriendly. 
Then Mari's younger stepsister starts to exhibit sort of what I like to think of as the scary kid syndrome, like what you expect of a creepy kid in horror. And, yes. and uh, so she's acting weird. She's behaving weird. No, no thanks. <laughs> no. Um, she's like getting more obnoxious and creepy than usual. And it all comes to a head uh, with some haunted house and ghost encounters. And that's kind of what I'm going to leave it at in terms of the plot. But this is a really sharp look at the prison state as well as gentrification. And Mari struggles with so much anxiety that as I was reading it, I was feeling anxious. So that's both a heads up and also just how how well done it is. Mm -hmm. But I was especially taken with how Jackson managed to describe Mari's intrusive thoughts and how those impacted her everyday existence without ever calling them out as such. It's really, really a chilling story, and it earns the comp to get out for its social commentary. There's been a lot of conversation around the comp of Mm -hmm. Get Out as being like, it's black written (laughs) or black starring horror. And I think I I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I also think that it's smartly used when it's trying to convey what social commentary horror is. And Mm -hmm. that's where this book like really, really earns that that comparison. And that is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. Thank you for clarifying that it actually does deserve that comparison because it it, it's starting to get a little annoying Mm -hmm. to see it's like every is everything really it's like well where would these books be if get out hadn't come out a few years ago but they even exist but um no i think yeah that makes sense as far as like the very like pervasive uh like existential dread yeah that comes with racism for sure it's a particular kind for sure yeah And I absolutely agree that it's an overused, like, comparison. Mm -hmm. But when you read one that really does have that comparison, you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. this one actually, like... This makes sense. It gets at exactly what what that comp should be getting at. Right. That makes sense. Okay, so the next one I have is When the Stars Lead to You by Ronnie Davis. So 18-year-old Devin longs for two things, and that is to be an astrophysicist and to be with her first love, Ashton. And I just think it's, I know, I just think it's interesting. I keep coming across like astrophysics lately. Mm. I don't know what that means. I had a neighbor, she moved out. But I had a neighbor who was like getting a PhD in astronomy. I had to stop from saying astrology. I think I said that when I first met her. And I think she was like, girl, it's not that. I'm just like, astronomy? (laughs) I was just like, I'm a cancer. What are you? (laughs) My silly self. So um, yes, I note on that. Anyway, so Devin is, so she has her first love. She's in high school. She's planning to go to a really good program to get a PhD in astrophysics. And her and Ashton seem to have this like really good summer. But at the end of the summer, um, Ashton just disappears. Devin doesn't see him or hear from him until like a year passes. He just basically dropped off the face of the earth. I'm like, that's the ghosting to end all ghostings. (laughs) Like, you know, so she comes to find out that Ashton has suffered, suffers from severe depression and that his wealthy white family did not care too much for him dating a middle-class biracial girl as Devin herself is half black and half white. And the pressure from all of that just over like overwhelmed him and he couldn't reach out to her and he had to just kind of just, you know, pause and take care of himself. 
So when the two finally do reunite, Ashton is still struggling with his depression. And, you know, Devin is left trying to figure out kind of what she should focus her energy on. Because, you know, of course, this is she's basically fresh out of high school. Relationships are new. And also for her relationships with people with depression, that's new as well. School is new. So she has to kind of figure out how to juggle everything and how to, you know, best meet everything in a balanced way. It's a good exploration, I think, of what it's like for depressed people as well as the people who love them. I think it's just like in my experience as well, it's definitely would behoove you if you, you know, have someone who is depressed to find out about the illness, like what is, you know, read about it. What does it look like for them? Talk to them about it if they're open to talking to you about it, of course. So yeah, I think it was a good exploration of that, basically. Um, depression and what it looks like for, you know, people who are in love with people who are depressed or family members, friends, stuff like that. So that is When the Stars Lead to You by Ronnie Davis. Home Home by Lisa Allen Agostini is my next pick. And I'll start by saying this is one I haven't read yet, but it's been on my radar. And it follows Kayla, who struggles with anxiety and depression. And after she overdoses on some pills, Kayla's mom sends her from Trinidad to Canada to live with her aunt and her aunt's wife in hopes of helping her find some sense of healing, moving away from the place that hasn't been good for her and maybe finding a fresh start somewhere else. She's 14 and being in a new place is obviously very challenging. It's not Trinidad and fitting in for her as well as navigating her twin mental illnesses only make it much more difficult. There is a lot in this one about mental health as well as culture and what makes a place a home as well as perspectives on gender and sexuality across different cultures. And that is Home Home by Lisa Allen Agostini. Okay, the next one I have is The Astonishing Color of After by Emily X.R. Pan. So Lee Chen Sanders is a 15-year-old daughter of an Irish-American father and a Taiwanese mother, a mother who has just taken her life through suicide. So Lee, though, is convinced that her mother has turned into this magical red bird that is leading her to her estranged grandparents in Taiwan. She then starts to learn about long hidden family secrets. She starts to come with, come to terms with her mother's passing and with the survivor's guilt she feels because she found out later that she had actually been kissing her friend slash crush Axel Moreno at the time that her mother was in the act of taking her own life. So this book has Magical realism has grief, regret, it explores loneliness, especially as it pertains to being the only one of your kind, which I guess loneliness kind of feels like that anyway. It feels like you're on the outside looking in on other people. But Lee is in a very like homogenous environment. She is, you know, half Taiwanese um, in a very white school which is partially why her and Axel got along so well, because he is also like half Puerto Rican and half um, Filipino. So it also talks about how you can kind of exist between worlds, between culture and language. And that speaks again to the homogeny of her school. And I think it's just a, a really touching portrayal of dealing with the feelings that come after someone commits suicide. Um, there's kind of that 
like denial that's kind of there. I think that a lot of people who are experiencing the stages of grief go through and that can be seen in the idea that her mom is this bird, like her mother didn't die. She's this red bird who's leading her to her mother's family in Taiwan. So again, the it is called The Astonishing Color of After by Emily X.R. Pan. My next pick is The Weight of Our Sky by Hannah Alkaf, and it's set in 1969 Kuala Lumpur during the uprising. So we're getting this really fresh setting in YA, and main character Melody navigates not only a city she loves falling into a war between the Malay and the Chinese, but she is also struggling with really debilitating OCD. And I found the OCD aspect of this book to be way more interesting than the war. That was just me personally. Um, Mm. Though the war Mm. itself certainly gives a deeper context to that mental illness. So at the the time and place, Muslims believe mental illness was attributed to an evil spirit. And in this case, case, it's the jinn. And the jinn plays a big role in what makes Miladi act and think the way that she does. And through this, we get a really powerful and raw depiction of OCD and the thought processes behind both the obsessions and compulsions that those who struggle with this illness experience. And in addition to tackling all that, which is done in a really phenomenal way, uh, this book also looks at grief and loss, both in terms of what one loses when somebody's home is destroyed or changed, as well as what somebody loses when death hits really close to home. And that is The Weight of Our Sky by Hannah Alkaf. That sounds so interesting. Oh my goodness. Like such like even the, just you describing the setting. I I mean, I don't necessarily like war Mm -hmm. settings, but the OCD, it just makes so much sense Yeah, because it's a, you know, a type of anxiety disorder and has to do with control or lack of feeling of control Mm -hmm. so your world being at war it just it just sounds good so yeah and it was I was gonna say it was such a cool setting because so little YA is set abroad um particularly Mm -hmm. like historically set abroad in you know just we don't have a lot of stories that are told in those places and so Mm -hmm. this was such a fresh setting and fresh take on a moment in history that I knew nothing about. Yeah, I still know nothing about. I I think that ties in, it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier about YA and in translation. Like maybe if we got some more, you know, YA translated, we would see more of that type of stuff. For sure. So yeah, so my next one is Summer Suns by Lee Mondello. Um, I haven't read this one yet, but it's definitely on the list it promises to be basically kind of like um, kind of like a dark academic uh, Southern Gothic. Its main character is Andrew, and he's set to start a graduate program at Vanderbilt. Um, it has queer relationships. It explores the inherent racism, not only within the school set, within not the school setting, but school settings in general, um, academia in general, but it also explores racism within the I guess dark academic subgenre. I haven't read it. This is what I've read about. So that really intrigued me. And side note, it takes place in Nashville, which is where I'm from. Mm. And it's funny because we would take field trips to Vanderbilt like each year in middle school. And I always knew I would go there. I knew it in my bones and I never did. But 
little, <laughs> little tidbit. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't like, I'm not sad about it, but it's just funny how, you know, things change. So Andrew, yes. So Andrew is set to go to Vanderbilt for graduate school when his best friend, Eddie commits suicide and Andrew tries to uncover basically who Eddie was and what led up to that moment. And I think there's also, again, that sense of disbelief, um, you know, having someone you love and care about commit suicide. So there's this, again, they're just like the last book. There's a kind of, you know, dealing with that in denial stage, but there does seem to be something more going on. They kind of mentioned that's kind of like <laughs> the Fast and Furious meets like, what is it? The lost history or whatever. Secret mm, history, mm-hmm. Donna Tart. <laughs> yeah. And so um, there's a lot going on here in terms of like, obviously mental illness. It explores racism, like I said, in the academic field, as well as in the queer, within the queer community. So, and also has these very interesting Southern Gothic elements. So it just sounds like very interesting. I'm looking forward to reading it. And I think it, you know, fits in with our theme here. So again, that is Summer Suns by Lee Mandelo. I'm going to hit two, uh, one a little bit more in depth than the other before we dive into our next topic. So the first is The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling by Wei Chin. And this is another one I haven't read yet, but I have on my radar. It originally published in Australia, but it hit the shelves last fall in the U.S. And it follows an immigrant family. And Anna, the eldest daughter, has a lot of responsibility. She is in charge of looking after both her brother and her sister, as well as her father's restaurant, and her mother, who struggles with mental illness and doesn't get out of bed a whole lot. So her father's new delivery boy, Rory, is a really welcome distraction and a chance for Anna to feel something heartfelt. But then Anna's mother gets out of bed and her condition goes from bad to worse. And so this book looks at mental illness, culture, the power of family and caretaking, and has a really nice romantic thread as well. And that is The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling by Wei Chin. And then really briefly, I want to mention also the new David Espinoza by Fred Aceves. This one, again, haven't read on my radar and wanted to mention it because it explores male body dysmorphia, which we don't see a whole lot in YA or in broader discussions of mental illness. So put the new David Espinoza on your radar as well. For sure. All right. Before we get into our second topic, I will read from our sponsor, Just Ash by Sol Santana from Learner Books. Ash Bishop has always known who he is. A guy who loves soccer, has a crush on his friend Michelle, and is fascinated by his hometown of Salem, Massachusetts. He's also always known that he's intersex. It's never felt like a big deal until Ash gets his first period in front of the boys' soccer team. Now everyone sees him differently, and his own mother thinks he should, quote, try being a girl, quote. As Ash tries to defend his identity, I.W. Gregorio, author of This Is My Brain in Love, Call this empowering journey, quote, a must read for all humans, end quote. This is a rare story about an intersex kid written by an intersex author. By the way, intersex is the I in LGBTQI+. It examines the ignorance and prejudice that still define society's views of the gender binary. It's a heart-rendering but ultimately empowering journey of an intersex boy learning to embrace his body and defend his identity. Again, that is Just Ash by Sol Santana. Thanks so much to Learner Books for the sponsorship. 
now we can get into a lighter topic lighter by far yeah just pretty pretty graphic novels yeah let's like (laughs) I and I I love the idea of thinking about this not as like a theme but as like the super Mm -hmm. subjective like these are pretty Mm -hmm. comics you know they're very visually appealing and Whenever I think about how we talk about books to readers, like there's so many things you can talk about, themes, topics, Mm -hmm. but there is something particularly with graphic novels or graphic memoirs to say, you know, I want a really pretty read. And so we've we've rounded up some pretty ones. And I'll start with one I've talked about on the show before, but I want to mention again, and that is Summer Spirit by Elizabeth Holloville. And this is um, in translation. So I... Want to bring it up because the color palette in this comic is gorgeous. It's primarily purples and greens and creates this really dreamy, spooky atmosphere. So the comic follows Louise as she spends summers at her grandmother's with her cousins. And this summer she is feeling left out because she's not as mature or ready to be a teenager as her cousins. And so she's spending a lot of time by herself and feeling left out as her cousins are going to the beach looking for boys and doing the sorts of things that she's just simply not ready for. So as she's spending a lot of time alone, she meets a ghost who haunts the property named Lisa. And Lisa is bound to the borders of the house in the garden, but soon she and Louise develop a friendship inside the treehouse that's in this garden. And this is where Lisa lives. And over the course of their friendship, Lisa begins to understand Louise's story is intimately tied to the garden, the treehouse, and her grandmother's long-lost sister. And it's a story that is really fascinating. I said, again, um, it's in translation. And the art, I think, really carries this one. There is, this is a a note for readers who need to know this, uh, there is a pet death in the book. It's not gory, uh, but heads up. And know that this is the sort of story that is more unsettling than it is truly scary. And I think the pitch you can maybe think of it as is this one summer meets Shirley Jackson in terms of tone and the art. And that is Summer Spirit by Elizabeth Holloville. Another great example of the books in translation offering kind of like a different story. Because mm-hmm. I feel like we don't hear about that too much. Like, yeah, there are ghost stories, but it's like the ghost of her. Yeah. Her mom, or you said her grandmother? Her grandmother's dead sister, yeah. Yes. Um, So that sounds really interesting. Um, So the first one I'll talk about is Squad by Maggie Takuda-Hall. So this has what I would describe, and I think my descriptions are probably going to be a little funky, but bear with (laughs) me. But like, I feel like this is what I would call like kind of like classic comic books style, like kind of bubblegummy it's like, um, it reminds me of the Archie comics, but modernized and it kind of also reminds me of like the bar, like Barbie circa 85 color scheme, kind of like, like pinks and greens and soft colors, but it also has the, um, you know, black outlines and it has some dark colors, but the, the lighter colors really pop. So basically it's about Becca, who is a new girl in high school at Piedmont High, And she has been lucky enough to be included into the ranks of Ariana, Marley, and Amanda, who are like the top girls. I wanted to say something else because they're werewolves, but (laughs) we'll keep it PG. (laughs) So she does her best to fit in and to, you know, basically like curry their favor and stay within their ranks. Because this is like the super exclusive friend group in the high school. So 
one night, the three, the other three girls end up coming just in the nick of time to rescue Becca from being assaulted at a party. Um, and they realize that, or rather, she realizes that they are man-eating werewolves who target predatory boys. So much for like a lighter theme. <laughs> <laughs> this is keeping in in like it, you know the season, spooky season, yeah. or whatever. So there's that at least. So Becca, it doesn't take too much to convince her to become a man-eating uh, werewolf. And the girls, they basically make the case that like, oh, they only attack predatory boys. So there's this, you know, like a revenge, avenging aspect. And, um, you know, them kind of like literally combating misogyny. It's been slated as Pretty Little Liars. And Teen Wolf, neither of which I've seen, but I have seen Dexter, and it does give me soup like supernatural Dexter tease. <laughs> so there's that. So Becca, the main character, she is gay and Asian. Uh, character is black. The other two girls in the friend group, I believe, are white. So there is some diversity and everything like that and representation. And uh, I think one last thing, one last point on the artwork. I think it's interesting how the artwork is very evocative of that kind of, I guess, you know, like I said, retro mm-hmm. comics, classic comics, lighthearted style. It's like, you know, Barbie in the eighties or whatever, but that's juxtaposed against like the fact that these girls are like eating like boys <laughs> that are like sexual um, predators and stuff. So that was an interesting um, combination that was not lost on me. <laughs> I think it's a really cute, visually like a really cute comic. So again, that's Squad by Maggie Takuda Hall. My next pick is I Was There American Dream by Malika Garib. And it's a graphic memoir of growing up as the daughter of a Muslim Egyptian father and a Catholic Filipino mother. Uh, So both her parents ultimately divorce and her father moves back to Egypt. But both of their cultural and religious heritages influence Malika's formative years. So as she navigates an extremely diverse population in her California high school, Malika finds herself obsessed with all things white. So this book digs into how being influenced by white culture when you are not white really can influence your your future and influence what you see as possible to you. This is really an insightful comic and funny and full of art and the memoir of being a daughter of immigrants doesn't skip on the art being really, really smart. The illustrations are kind of light and they make use of the red, white, and blue palette in a really savvy way, which when I went to go read uh, reviews of this, I've, I've read this and really enjoyed this comic, but I always like reading reviews and seeing like where some of those nuances were lost on the yeah. reviewers. And this one, they kind of missed the intentionality of that particular color mm-hmm. palette uh, but it is very clearly intentional this one i would read alongside almost american girl or the complete persepolis or tina's mouth and existential comic diary among other graphic mom memoirs of teens who are having their first generation american experience and that was i was their american dream by malika garib just curious and slightly messy. What did they say? Like you said, they kind of just totally missed it. Oh, they didn't mention it or did they misinterpret it? They didn't understand why it was red, white, and blue or found the color, oh, you know, man. yeah. Or found it like, like found it lacking um, because it's not, <laughs> well, cause it's not like bright, bold, um, you mm-hmm. know, like traditional. I don't, I don't even like saying traditional, but like what I think yeah. readers expect of 
a comic palette, right. but like the the red, white, and blue is very, very um, intentional. Particularly like the way it explores white culture. Um, right. <laughs> so it was it was just interesting to read some of those reviews. Like you know, every reader mm-hmm. every reader takes something away from what they read differently. But when you mm-hmm. read something and you're like, oh, that was really clever, and then you go read, read reviews and you're like, oh, not everybody saw that. Um, it's always it's always interesting. Oh my god. Uh, the internet is where nuance dies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it goes there to die. Yep. So that is a thing. Now I now I want to read it if for nothing else, just to see like how wrong they were. <laughs> anyway, so my next one is The Sprite and the Gardener by Rhea Brago and Joe Witt. So this is a story about sprites who are these magical little creatures (laughs) that used to look after and nurture plant life, like all plant life. But once humans appeared in the suburbs, they started, humans started to do the landscaping and stuff like that. So the sprites stepped back, um, but they still kind of, you know, hang out and kind of kiki in the gardens and stuff like that, have a good old little sprite time. (laughs) So this new suburban neighborhood of silver trays a new sprite called Wisteria gets introduced to all the best backyards of the neighborhood. And she's welcomed by the other sprites and everything like that. But she still feels like kind of left out her being the, the newbie and everything like that. So she starts to go off and explore things a little bit on her own. She comes across this garden that is just like a hot mess. So she starts to work her little sprite magic and, you know, zhuzh it up a little bit. <laughs> When she meets a young human girl named Lena, and she finds out, I believe, Lena's mom owns the garden, but Lena's mom is too busy to tend to it, hence the hot mess status. So Lena sees that the garden is starting to look better, and basically Lena and Wisteria learn to work together to make the garden flourish, and they do so in these beautiful pinks and purples and oranges and greens. It kind of reminds me of... Alphonse Musha. I don't know if you're familiar, like the Art Nouveau type of very fluid like um, drawings, but the color palette is softer. It's lighter. It's not as like saturated or rich. The drawings are super pretty and it's a really cute (laughs) story. Like I would like buy stickers of it or like hang it up, you know, somewhere a little, I don't know, prints. (laughs) Um, It is again, The Sprite and the Gardener by Rhea Brejo and Joe Witt. My next pick is The Last Summer, excuse me, My Last Summer with Cass by Mark Crilly. Uh, This one came out in March, and I was a little busy then, so I cannot be blamed for not even knowing about this comic until I started poking around for pretty graphic novels. Uh, Obviously, I haven't read it, but it looks really dreamy, and the pitch for it references This One Summer and The Edge of Seventeen. The latter, of course, uh, is what the art really reminds me of as I look through the pages. So story follows Megan and Cass, who have been longtime best friends. And every summer, their parents and families share a cabin, and the two of them like to make art together. But then Cass moves away to New York City, and when Megan finally convinces her parents to let her visit Cass, Cass is a completely different person. Luckily, they are able to still make great art together until there's been a major betrayal of trust, and now it looks like their friendship may never heal. It's a comic about growing up in the ways friendships shift and change as people begin to really know themselves. And that is My Last Summer with Cass by Mark Crilly. 
Oh my God. I just watched Kiki's delivery service. And the ending of that just reminds me. <laughs> I really felt some type of way. I don't know if you've seen it, but I have not. No. Okay. It's sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I mean, everyone's alive and everything, but it's just like the ending of a friendship. And it's like, I was not expecting to feel sad about this. <laughs> what did you do to me? Studio Ghibli? <laughs> How dare you? So my next book is or series rather is the tea dragon series by Kay o'neill the first book is tea dragon society it's about a blacksmith apprentice named greta and her adventures as she delves deeper into the world of tea dragons so one day she comes across a lost tea dragon in the marketplace she starts to learn how caring for tea dragons the process of it and she learns to like appreciate it she befriends a couple of tea shop owners and their ward minette she starts to see how, uh, as I said, the she appreciates the craft of tea dragon care, how it can enrich people's lives, including her own. The art style here is, I feel like it's something that would like, something else that I would like want to hang up. It would go like really well. I know my, my descriptions are a little weird, but it would go well on like a postcard, I feel. Mm. The colors are rich and deep. They're also bright. And looking at it kind of makes you feel like you're in this fantasy world with the tea dragons and the blacksmiths. And it makes you want to like, you know, throw a pink wig on and have a cup of tea on the lawn mm. and a nice blanket, the little sprites floating hither and thither as they do, you know. So um, I guess the artwork basically achieves the goal of like immersing you into the little cute world where this cute fantasy story takes place. Again, the tea dragon series, there are three books. I believe by Kay O'Neill. My last pick is Crushing by Sophie Burroughs. And I'm giving y'all a heads up about this comic as it's coming out in January. I got an advanced copy of this open on my laptop and the color palette is just super dreamy, which is apparently the aesthetic I am really leaning into. Yes. <laughs> which is which is funny because I love dark art too. I just reread mm -hmm. uh, Pam Smythe's Thornhill, which is... Uh, all black and white and perfect for Halloween. Uh, anyway, mm -hmm. Crushing is super unique in that it's completely wordless and told entirely through the art. And it's a story about young adult life in an era of isolation. The main female character is lonely and really desperate for connection, while the main male character is lonely but is really afraid to reach out and make any connections. The Art is colored pencil, and honestly, just from what I've looked at so far, the book doesn't need words to make an impact because the art is doing all of the storytelling. And that is Crushing by Sophie Burroughs. It comes out in January. That's interesting. I haven't read too many or looked at uh, too many graphic novels that don't use words. So that sounds like an interesting experience that I need to get into. <laughs> My last one is called Witchlight by Jesse Zabarsky. So Witchlight is about Lilek, the witch who just blows into town, you know, taking things as she sees fit. It's really kind of more of a survival thing, how she like cheats people. But anyway, one day she kidnaps a peasant girl named Sanja because she sees Sanja's ability to wield a sword. And the two of them or rather Lilek and her captive Sanja, 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 I'm not quite sure, are traveling together to find the missing half of Lilek's soul. And her soul is, just so happens to be the source of her magical abilities. So Sanja tries to teach Lilek to stop cheating people, even though that's what she depended on before. And the two of them, as the two of them journey, 
um, along the way, they start to learn how to trust each other. They make some friends. They make some enemies. There's even a little bit of romance. Um, and the colors here are bright. They're bright pastels. And some some pages have different pages kind of have different color schemes, some of them. So there are bright pastels as well as rich colors. And it kind of reminds me of like the classic Japanese paintings and drawings like how they draw the faces and stuff and kind of how some of the movement looks. It kind of looks like that to me. I don't know what that art style is called, but it's very pretty, very pleasing to the eye. And again, that is Witch Light by Jesse Zabarski. And that is our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, if you have feedback about the show, you can leave it on Apple Podcasts. That lets us know how we're doing and helps other people find us. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish, including our insiders program. Thanks to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible, and thanks to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can follow me on Instagram at heykellyjensen and Erica, where can people follow you? At Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore on Twitter. And we will see y'all again together in two weeks. Bye.